Sports Radio 1043 The Fan. Every Saturday morning, it's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Terry takes you inside the outdoors. You know, hunting, fishing, camping. It's Terry Wickstrom Outdoors. Now, here's Terry. All right, we are here, and we are so privileged. We have in studio with us for the entire show, Mr. Kirk Dieter. And, Kirk, I was going to go through your resume, but it's only a two-hour show. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's nice to be here. I, I, I... The highlight of my resume, no matter what, would be being on the radio with you two. So. <laughs> well, that's hardly true. Kirk's an author. We'll talk about some of his books. He's written some incredible fly fishing books, uh, one with a very dear friend of ours. that almost always comes up in a conversation when we're together. Um, he's uh, the editor of Trout Magazine. He's an editor-at-large for Field and Stream, and I'm missing one here. I'm the editor of Angling Trade, too. That's right. I knew that, but business. I just, you know, so so other than that, what you've been doing? Uh, just sleeping. Yeah. You know, <laughs> trying to get out and do a lot of uh, hunting and dog training lately. I, uh, we're going to talk about that yeah. later in the show, too, that you're, uh, you know, I think there's so much crossover in the outdoors. Yeah. That. A lot of fishermen are hunters. Hunters are fishermen. And just, I, we love the outdoors. Well, I, and I grew up in the upper Midwest like you did. And I'm from Wisconsin and went to school in Michigan and so forth. And that was part of it. Uh, just ever since I was big enough to walk, I could, you know, remember with my dogs hunting and with my grandfather and, and so forth and fishing and, and all that. It just gets ingrained in you. And, and, you know, I can't imagine not doing that kind of stuff. Anymore. Well, it's so into the culture. Yeah, it's part of it. You know, if you ever want to really understand the culture of those Midwest out the small communities, uh, all you have to do is read John Garrick's books because he's from there. Yeah, and he captures that old woodsy. Why did I start? Why did I do this in a folksy way? But my mom was on a deer stand with me when I was twelve. Yeah, I yeah. mean, it's just you just it's part of life. Uh, speaking of Garrick, I'm lucky with Trout Magazine. I get to edit him now. I'm oh, that's right. He's with you guys now. That's yeah. awesome. I love John. Me too. And and what's fun is I get the sneak peek before everyone else reads it. Um, I get these these columns sent in to me, and I read through them. And every single time, whether it's a tearjerker or it uh, makes you laugh, or usually in those stories, it's a little bit of both. There's everything, yeah. and it's it just brings me right back to my roots every time I, I read what John has to write. So. Oh, it is. He's just you know he gets down to. Well, I think he would rather be on a small stream with a. Um, Bamboo, bamboo rod. fly yeah. rod. I was Joe. Thank you. You yeah. know, you know him. I, I mean, know him well. he would rather be on probably uh, Saint Verain with a bamboo rod catching little six or eight inch trout, and he'd be in heaven. Oh yeah, yep. And and he he can write about that in a way that makes it accessible. You know, we always think of bamboo rods or yeah. you know, fancy and all this stuff, but it makes it accessible and normal and and nice and folksy and earthy and all those things all at once that he's never he's never he's taken the elitist whatever attitude out oh, completely out of the, the fly fishing as far as i'm concerned well you know if you go to the true nature of a bamboo rod you know there's a lot of advanced fly fishermen that buy expensive bamboo rods and it's a challenge to them to fish with it but really if you're a beginning angler a bamboo rod is really forgiving and and you can you can cast small flies you're maybe not going to cast 100 feet but yeah, yeah. It, 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 
puts you in tune with the casting stroke better than almost any other type of rod. So many of these fast graphite next generation, it's like golf clubs. You know, they, right. you need to have a swing before you can play the game. Same with the fly cast. And, and if you can hone that with a softer action rod or a medium action rod and then bring it around and maybe apply that technology later in the game, uh, that's great. I'm doing a story, in fact, on the use of bamboo in spinning rods. I have a guy who's writing a story about building his own spinning rods out of bamboo for that very reason that you're talking about, the feel aspect and the the flex and, and all that that you can only find through bamboo. Well, and and that's why a lot of the early fly and spinning rods when they went from bamboo went to fiberglass yep. because you just they were a little heavier though yep. but you had that forgiveness and uh you know i've i've got i don't know dozens of fly rods because like you i travel i have sponsors and i came to fly fishing later in life i was a bass and walleye fisherman but i um it a lot of my rods, I've got some really nice high-end graphite rods that are just, you know, super fast. But most of the time I reach for a softer and maybe even go down a number in the rod because I'm not fly fishing every day like a lot of people. I'm going a few times a year. And I actually fish better. And first of all, I've never been an expert caster. And but but, <laughs> you know, so. but but I understand fish. Right. And and if I can that softer rod makes it much easier for me to make a presentation. I'm I was with Bob Jacklin one time. We're sitting we're sitting on the in the Madison, we're about th- thigh deep, and Bob's a slight guy. Mm-hmm. And the current is about to wash us away. And he goes he looks across the Madison, which I don't even know how far, it must have been seventy feet, and there's this little eddy there. So he tells me he said, well, we got to cast across. There's about three cross currents. Cast across there. He said, we need our leader to bunch up just above that eddy. And then as the line goes, our fly will drift in there. We'll probably get a brown trout out of there. I said, Bob, I don't even know if I can cast that far, much less hit that hole and bunch up my leader. And <laughs> Of course, he commences to do it. But I backed up, fished the seam close to us, and caught just as many fish. That's right. You know. I've always I've always believed that uh, you don't have to be able to cast eighty feet to be a hero and, and fly fish. You can cast. I'll, give me a straight twenty foot cast, and we'll we'll do just as well as we would otherwise. Well, I want to get to some other subjects, but I got another story I got to bring up. That yeah. sure. So many many years ago, Karen was learning to fly fish for the first time, and she had never used the fly rod before, and I. In conjunction with at that same time period, I decided I should learn how to tie flies. Not that I was going to spend a lot of time doing it, but we talk about it on the radio. So I wanted to know the nuances and the little little things that you should be able to at least get experts on and understand and be able to help them. And so I tried to tie. You know, I tied originally tied all the ones everybody does, you know, a woolly bugger and all that. So I decided to tie some L. Caricatus. Well, I wasn't very good at packing the hair, right? You know, and these things blew up, and I don't know what they looked like when I got done tying them, but they didn't look like an L. Caricatus. They didn't look like a caddis at all, but I threw them in my fly box. But you talk about making a simple presentation. We go up to Rocky Mountain National Park, and she said she could. She hadn't even learned to cast yet, so she's going to water load the rod, let the little stream take the fly, 
downriver and they'll just flip it upriver sure. and do that. And she goes, well, give me a fly on the end that if I lose it, you don't care. So I took that whatever it was out of there and tied it on her rod while she's flipping it around. Of course, I'm downriver from her just a little bit, down or up, I don't remember. And I'm making these great drifts and everything, you know, and I'm putting it right where I want to. And she's got five fish and I got none. And so I'm about to look through my box and see if I can find a fly. There's not one in the world like that because it can't be my skill, right? And so I dump my fly box. It goes in the river. And now these flies are floating down there. Now they're getting hit because I'm getting a good drift on them. (laughs) It's a natural drift. (laughs) Well, you know, the the fun thing about fly fishing is that, um, well, first of all, women are naturally better anglers than men at all times. Just because we don't have to undo the effects of testosterone. You know, no smile, no laughing in the control room there. <laughs> <laughs> undo the effects of testosterone in terms of casting and overworking. And, 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 and they're also more in tune with uh, watching. You know, the, For me, it's taken me years and years and years to stop trying to impose my will on the fish and then sit and watch the water. And figure out what they tell me to do, and if the, and that applies to all fishing for oh, without question, yeah. One yeah. of the reasons they gave up television is because Karen kept catching bigger and more yeah, fish that's, than me. That's a problem. And I can outfish her on the radio. Yeah, of course. Yeah. <laughs> hey, before we run out of time in this segment, though, you were traveling. You took a really special trip for you. You know, your fly fishing adventures kind of started with brown trout, and you kind of completed the circle, and you're going to be writing about it. Tell us about that trip. Yeah, I'm just back from Tasmania, the island uh, state that's uh, off the south shore of, of Australia. It was a long trip, a life trip. And the reason I went was to trace the uh, brown trout. The brown trout are only native to Europe. And uh, the first place that they were ever taken was Tasmania. And it took them 18 years to figure out how to do it, pack eggs and seaweed and so on and so forth. And they took them all the way, um, 90 days, and they put them in this river. And I went to, saw the boxes that they brought them in in the museum. And I saw this, the hatchery where they, they brought these fish and they hatched and they flourished. And uh, it was from Tasmania that the brown trout have gone to New Zealand and other places and so forth. And um, yet Tasmania is still kind of overlooked in, in many people's eyes as a destination for an American angler. I can tell you that the fishing was surreal. Um, to fish and have wallabies jump over the banks and catch seven-pound brown trout in shallow water. They're cruising like bonefish. Uh, you know, shin deep water, and you see them waking because they're chasing little frogs into the grasses, and they'll eat dry flies. It, it was just a mind blowing experience for me, and I'm going to be writing about that in Trout Magazine coming what, up. Soon. When when will we see that? Do you in know? the summer issue, so in July. You know, um, that brings us to another topic you and I were discussing off the air, and that's still water fishing. Yeah, you know, because that you were fishing still water, and you had to locate the fish, although you could kind of sight fish them there and make a presentation. We got a couple minutes left. I think it's worth touching on that a lot of fly anglers, especially in the Rocky Mountain area, don't fish still water enough. Oh, I, I think that that's the graduate school, right? Yeah. Everything is slowed down. Everything is more subtle. Uh, how you present a fly, the action you put with the fly, you know, pulling a nymph through a feeding zone, you can't do it for too fast or too slow. In the river, everything's moving for you. Right. As you're on cruise control, so to speak, autopilot. In in the stillwater environment, you have to 
factor in your cast and your landing and what you do with the fly and reading very, very subtle seams and current breaks and all those things. If you if you want to really be a great fly angler, you should dedicate at least three or four or five days a year specifically to to honing your stillwater game. Well, one of the things, and I do a lot of appearances and seminars, not as many as I used to, but when I get asked to appear at fly clubs, um, I, you know, whether it was Federation or Trout Unlimited or one of the one of the clubs, I would almost always talk about stillwater fishing because my background was fishing warm water species in lakes before I started fly fishing, and fly fly anglers miss out. You know, there's times when the rivers are blowing out. Right. There's times when the rivers are low and we really don't want to bother those trout. There's times when it's just really technical. Not that we don't have usually some river fishing that's great in Colorado, but we also have lakes and ponds everywhere. Yeah. And not only trout, but warm water species. And I, I tell you, you go up, uh, go up to Rocky Mountain National Park and fish those lakes. Go up to those alpine lakes. Sometimes you even have to go up by horseback. Yeah. There isn't a more purest in, you know, oh, no. environment than that. And you're not... but they're scared of it. Fly anglers, like you said, the river positions the fish and the river makes the presentation. Right. And when you take that away from it, I remember fishing with um, Kirk from Kirk's Fly Shop sure. up in Estes, and we were fishing down in an area in a pool below a dam, and they weren't hitting the flies. So I said, let's try some streamers because we can irritate them with some streamers. There's bait floating around in there, little minnows and stuff. And we just, and I started just slamming them and he wasn't getting any and he was trying to drift that streamer through there. And finally I told him, and to this day he said I taught him how to fish streamers for me to teach, for me to teach anybody of his caliber, anything about fly fishing is a compliment I don't deserve. But once he caught onto it and realized he had to bring that to life, that he had to make that, that, that streamer look like a minnow or a bug or a crawfish. Once he understood that he had to visualize it, it just took off for him. But that's what we were talking about earlier, right? You you tuned in to what the fish wanted, and they told you what to use, and you shared that with Kirk, and it ended up working out for both of you. Yeah, and it's a lot of fun. Well, and I've been so blessed. You and I both. Think of the people we've got to share the water with in our lifetime. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I know that we both, we have one dear friend and we alluded to early, and we're never going to probably do a thing together without mentioning Charlie Myers. I, I don't think we should. And he's a mentor to both of us. Yep. And just such a great man. And, you know, every time you fish with somebody like him or somebody like you or I go with, when I was doing television, we had guests on all the time. Some were novice anglers, some were advanced guides, but I don't think I ever fished with anybody I didn't learn something. And that's, that's really what makes a great day. Right. To me, yeah. I can catch 50 fish, and if I don't learn, it's not been a great day. I can go and get skunked, and if I learn 20 things, it's been a great day. And if I catch a lot of fish and learn a lot of things, it's been a, an amazing day. Yeah, we got to take a break. We're going to come back, and we're going to change things up. We're going to um, have Parks and Wildlife join us, and we're going to take you out to Highline Lake after this time out on Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Terry Wickstrom Outdoors is brought to you in part by Sun Power Sports, Colorado's largest ATV and motorcycle dealer. We are going to go right to the phones, and joining us from Highline Park is Ashley Wallace. Good morning, Ashley. Hey, Terry. How are you? I'm doing great. So 
We got a little snow here today, but the sun's coming out. It's going to get better. What, what kind of weather you got over there? Well, today is the first day all week I've seen the sun, so hopefully all of these storms have passed us. Uh, it's a little cold here. It's about 20 degrees this morning, but like I said, that sunshine is is very nice. And when it turns over in that part of the state, it turns quickly. Why don't you tell people where Highline Park is located and describe the park? Sure. So Highline Lake State Park is located along I-70 in between Grand Junction and Utah. Um, we are a smaller state park. We have two lakes here. One of them is, of course, Highline Lake. And then we have a smaller lake called Mac Mesa, which is really great with our anglers. Um, we're known for our mountain biking, our camping, um, and anything fun you want to do in the sun. Now, are your campgrounds open year-round? If I wanted to come now, could I go camping? You could. It'd be a little cold, but our campgrounds are open year-round. And we have a nice uh, shower facility uh, that stays open year-round as well. And, you know, the way they're building these campers now and the way that people want to get outdoors, we're seeing more and more people camp in the winter. And people don't just camp at your lake or your park for the amenities, which we're going to talk about in just a minute. But it's kind of a stop along the way for other trips sometimes, isn't it? Yeah, we get a lot of folks that are traveling through the area, um, either heading east or going out west towards Moab and, and that area. And, you know, in between, once you leave Colorado, there's not a whole lot of amenities. There's not a lot of places to camp. So we get a lot of folks that will stop and, and spend the night with us and, you know, find us. And then they come and stay longer on their next trip. Now, are you part of the new reservation system where you have to have a reservation? There's no, no first come, first serve, but you can make one the same day? We are. We're going to switch to that this year. Um, it has taken effect since January 1st, but we haven't had a whole lot of camping to really try that out. Um, but we're excited to, to do that because it's an added convenience for our visitors since that three-day reservation window that they used to have to abide by, they, they can make a reservation as soon as they know they're coming out the Highline. Well, in fact, they can get on their phone and make it as they're driving in the park, right? <laughs> That's right. They could be in line waiting to come into the park, and mm. they could be making the reservation either by calling someone through that call number or online on their phone. Uh, so I, that'll be real nice for them. I like that because I'm a kind of guy that cuts in front of the line, so that works out well <laughs> for me. <laughs> hey, Ashley, um, I, I want to get to the fishing and the boat ramps in just a minute, but you also have some other activities. You've got some trails, and I believe you have a lot of birds and eagles and things there. Yeah, we do. Uh, here in the park, we have about seven and a half miles of trails um, for mountain bike, hiking, horseback, and um, we get a lot of... Uh, families that come out because our trails are relatively easy compared to some of those tougher trails around us so it's a great um, opportunity for families to learn how to ride together Um, so that's really great now i assume you're still ice fishing on the lake because it's been more winter we went from the what was going to be an early spring to a never-ending winter here is that what happened there (laughs) absolutely in fact we had people ice fishing yesterday and on a typical year uh, we actually open our boat rounds on March 1st, but that's probably not going to happen this year. No, do you, do you have, uh, I know you can't predict it, and we don't want to say safe ice. We want to say there'll be ice and people need to take precautions, but do you have a gut feel for maybe how much longer the ice fishing will go? Um, I have noticed that the ice fishing is getting a little closer to shore, so um, there is a small opening in Highline Lake um, where the geese have, um, you know, they're enjoying that open water. So I would say we probably have another week of ice fishing, another week or two. And looking at our weather forecast, it's, we're not predicted to have any significant temperatures, so it could be into March before we actually lose that ice. 
Now, when the boat ramps do open, you're scheduled for March 1st, but you won't open them until the ice is off. So people are going to kind of have to watch, what, your fa- your Facebook and your website? Yeah, absolutely. We try to keep uh, most current information on those, especially years like this that aren't, you know, we've scheduled that we're going to open on March 1st, but Mother Nature has something else in store for us. So as soon as all of the ice is off and we can get our boat ramps in the water, then we'll open. Now, um, the water level doesn't vary if I'm if I'm right there. Is that right? You're consistent? Yeah, that's correct. So we keep a constant water level every year, and so um, even when other lakes are having water issues, we typically don't see those issues here. And before we get to talk about the types of fish, when the boat ramps do get open, you have a neat program for people that come. Your number one violation is people without life jackets, which is ridiculous, especially with kids. Tell us about your program. So here at Highline, you know, like you just mentioned, that is our biggest violation, and it's completely preventable. We have a great life jacket loaner program here, and many of our state parks across the state do as well. And we have hundreds of life jackets in adult sizes, child sizes, youth sizes, and we loan them out for free. Um, we usually have them at all of our ANS inspection stations, so the folks that are coming into contact with our boaters uh, can provide those life jackets. You can borrow them for the weekend if you're staying with us. You could borrow them for the whole day. and We don't charge a penny. We just want people to be safe out on the water. Well, you know, one of the number one things, if you look at the fatalities on the water, a huge percentage are people not wearing flotation devices. Before we run out of time, though, let's talk about the fishing. You have the two lakes. I believe both are, uh, at least there's a num- good number of stocking and at least one, if not both. And then you have some warm water species. Tell us about the fishing. So the fishing lately has been really great. Um, In the last couple months, we've seen quite a few uh, trout coming out between 20 and 24 inches. Uh, The crappie fishing is is picking up, as well as catfish. And then once that ice comes off and we're able to stock both of those uh, lakes, uh, we'll most likely be stocking several times in March with trout. And so that'll be great spring fishing. But you and you do have a great population of crappie and perch mm-hmm. and sunfish and uh, bass, which make some great fishing. Kirk Dieter from uh, Trout Magazine and from uh, Sports Field. Did I say that right? Field and Stream. Field and Stream. Why did I say That's that okay. wrong? Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, I get it wrong. You got, uh, uh, he, we were talking about uh, still water fishing for fly anglers. And, of course, mm-hmm. Kirk's a big fly fisherman. I'll bet fly fishermen do extremely well for panfish and trout as the ice recedes on your lakes. Yeah, we'll have some fly fishermen come out. Um, there's still too much ice around the shoreline, so unless you have a really long cast like you guys were talking about earlier, you're not going to reach any of that open water right now. <laughs> that would rule me out. Then. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Is it longer than a rod length? <laughs> yeah, but, but what we were talking, I know you were listening. I saw you were on. And um, what we, uh, but when the ice does recede, uh, the big trout will come by shore, and you just t- tell us again, because Kirk's eyes lit up when you said the size of those trout. So a lot of the fish that we saw um, coming out in the last couple months, they're between 20 and 24 inch. Wow. And Kirk, what a great, we talked about early fly fishing, yep. still water, and uh, here's a time of the year when the fish are a little more easy to locate because they are coming close to shore, getting ready to spawn and things. Do you find that there's a time of year that uh, say someone's coming from Denver on this side of the divide and wants to come out and spend the weekend or some time camping. Are there busier times of the year? Are there prime time of the year? If I wanted to plan for my family to come, when would you recommend? 
So it depends on what you're going to come out to do. If you're going to come out for fishing, I would definitely recommend the spring when we lose our ice. And then um, in late spring, we'll get a, an increase in visitation with a lot of our mountain biking community. Nice. Uh, summers are pretty busy, but then in the fall, as things start to cool off, the fishing picks up again, and it's, it's pretty awesome. All right. Well, it just sounds like just a great opportunity. Ashley, we have to run, but I hope you get a lot of people out there. It's, it sounds like a great place to go, especially for a family or uh, somebody like me who theoretically acts like a 12-year-old when he's fishing. <laughs> so it makes it good for me, too. Thank you for joining us today. Thank you, Terry. Have a good one. You bet. Wouldn't, wouldn't that be just, uh, just a... You know, we just talked about fishing offshore. Right. And not just the trout. I mean, 20-inch trout. I mean, I mean, they're right. obviously holdover from being stocked. They're sure, probably but, not reproducing. But, you know, how many people even catch a 20-inch trout? Isn't that the threshold? Isn't that the one? You know, you, you, I wish I could catch a blank. Yeah. Well, 20-inch trout. Right. You fill in the blanks. And if you're not doing well on the trout, do the, the bass, the crappies panfish panfish yeah, uh, you know you take a three four weight rod and go out and start you get into some of those bigger panfish or a bass and you're gonna have everything you want oh yeah that's it's great awesome. fun great fun we gotta move on you're listening to terry wickstrom outdoors on 104.3 the fan <music> mr robert zimmerman do you know him and I went to the same high school? We actually had the same music teacher. He lived about three blocks away from me. I actually played guitar with him when I was 14. Did you of course, you know him by the name Bob Dylan, but he was he was Robert Zimmerman back there. He's uh, yeah, he's uh, the um, well, he's a Nobel Literature Prize winner for his lyrics. Yes. Yeah, I, I you know I mean it's obviously I'm prejudiced. I love his music. Still second to the Eagles, though, Kyle. Eagles are number one. But, uh, yeah, I've been very fortunate in my life. I got to experience a lot of neat things. You know, we talked about growing up in a small town in the Midwest. That's where I grew up. And myself, Kevin McHale, and Bob Dylan all grew up within about four miles of each other. But there was an age gap between us. So Dylan was already famous when I got to know him. And I could take Mikhail to the hoop because I was nine years older than him. (laughs) (laughs) Not many people could take Mikhail to the hoop. Well, he wanted to be a hockey player back then. He was only 10. so (laughs) There weren't many six-foot-ten hockey players at the time. The the basketball thing worked out for him. Yeah, it it, it was all right. He did fine. Hey, you know, we're waiting for a call from Corey Chick from Parks and Wildlife. We did cover this topic last week. It's about the changes in the big game structure. And if he doesn't call, maybe you and I'll just review it real quick. But we were talking about you know, a place like Highline Park we just got off the radio with. Sure. We had just talked about still water angling. And here's a chance. You want to get your kid, teach them to fly fish. Now, whether you want to teach them to spin fish, I don't know how many of us started with a red and white bobber and a worm, which would be great over there. Sure. Or if you want to teach them different, more advanced fishing, kids want to catch fish. So with the population of stock trout with those holdover big fish that she talked about, and then all the panfish and the bass, what a great place to take a kid. You know, he's probably going to get some action, and he's not going to be in every tree if you're teaching him fly fishing because you got the open water. And it's, you know, really, I think too many times they take we take fly anglers to the river first. That's right. I I get that question a lot. 
from friends and readers and whatnot. And I want to take my grandson or I want to take my neighbor or my little brother or whatever fishing, a little sister. And uh, the the number one thing I think that's important is that they have some fun, success. They've got short attention spans when they're oh, yeah. seven, eight, nine, ten years old. I started when I was ten, and and uh, you know some kids have the patience for that, and some don't. But all kids love the tug and feel the fish on the other side of the of the line. So oh, you're abs- absolutely right. By the way, we're talking with Kirk Dieter. He's the editor of Trout Magazine and at large editor for Field and Stream, and and then. Fishing tackle, fly tackle, Ang- angling trade, magazine, angling which, trade. I never no, get that well, last. No one, one sees that except the people. The who, people in the industry, yeah. right? Yeah, I so <laughs> get. But, but yeah, it's it's. There's so many opportunities. You know, another thing. You and I both. You know, neither one of us were born here, and we started our fishing careers somewhere else. But there's such a diversity of angling available in Colorado. Yeah, I mean, where you can. Um, you can do the warm water species like we were talking about, or go to John Martin and catch. You can go to John Martin, take a little kid out in a boat, and he'll catch white bass oh, yeah. all day long. Oh, yeah. Whatever type of fishing you do, but yet then we have the the miles of trout streams, and we have the Alpine lakes, we have Rocky Mountain National Park. What a, we're just so blessed to have so much diversity here. Yeah, I I often get asked another question, and it's like when you travel and so forth. What's your favorite place if you could go one place? And my answer is always the same. I live where I live for a reason. And it's not just the trout or the mountains or, or any of that. It's, it's the div- like you said, the diversity. It's the fact that we can catch smallmouth bass. And we can go, uh, I go carp fishing down oh. in downtown Denver. It's oh. like poor man's bonefish, right? It's awesome. Um, wipers, stripers, um, great pike fishing. Some oh. of the best pike fishing in, in fact, the country. In fact, we're, we're going to talk about that later on in the show with... Um, Matt Ensley from Tightline Outdoors, the pike are beginning their pre-spawn under the ice. And yeah. as that ice goes away, there's two or three times of the year, especially that um, the pike fishing and pike on a fly yeah. are just incredible. One of the biggest pike we caught in a Canadian trip up in uh, Foster's Lake, it was probably, you know, a 45-inch pike, but it had a belly is like mine. Oh, yeah. And we caught that on a fly. Sure. You know, it's just that, that type of thing. Well, you mentioned the carp and the pike, and I can't. Mention those without thinking about Barry Reynolds. Yeah, and how many times him and I fished together. What a great guy! And but he he made a living out of going after species other than trout. Well, yeah, you, you learn a lot that you can apply to the trout world. Oh, by catching those other fish. You know, carp are some of the smartest, most sensitive fish around. Oh, yeah, they can smell you. They, they, I've I read. I think maybe Barry's the one who told me, but you know, a carp can remember the taste of of a lure or a hook, and they it's ingrained. This the, they know not to make that mistake twice. Um, they did a study up in Beaver Island in Michigan where they caught and they you know tagged uh, several hundred fish, and the number that they caught again a second time within a year or so was incredibly low because those fish. We're so smart they didn't they didn't make the same mistake twice. Well, you know, while we're on carp fishing, one of the things I've always felt about carp fishing and and first of all, we release most of the fish we catch. Sure, we go after bonefish and permit in the ocean, and we go after big trout in Colorado and and all those type of things. But a carp will give you as much fight as any of those. And like you said, they're difficult because they are very smart. 
The other side of what I was telling, if you're planning that Tasmanian trip like you talked about earlier in the show, and you're going to be fishing for these huge brown trout, or if you're going up to one of your uh, saltwater destination where you might get into a redfish or a bonefish, if you've never done anything but throw a four-weight for rainbows in Colorado and probably never even got into your drag most of the time, you're going to pucker up when (laughs) when when that fish starts pulling that drag. You're, you're going to tighten up a little bit, yeah. and you've never played one before. But if you've had a 15-pound carp on yeah. and you've played it, you've probably played it in a much more relaxed scenario because who cares if you lose it? You're That's having right. fun, right? So that when you, I think it's a great way to prepare for going after those other big fish. I, I totally agree with you. In fact, when we were rattling off all the species that you can catch here in Colorado, I was thinking in my head, well, the billfish bite is not so hot here in Colorado. Yeah. <laughs> right? But aside from that, you can actually practice for the bonefish or the redfish with the carp that we have in the state. So, I mean, it's almost like we have all the freshwater and then some of the best uh, pseudo-saltwater fishing in the country as well. Oh, we live in a really, really great place. And, you know, I get that same question, too. People go to me, well, they either say, what's your favorite place or or what uh, what's your favorite place to fish or what's your favorite species to fish for? And I go, you know, my favorite place is where I am that day and I'm fishing, and the favorite species is what I'm going after because I've had as many incredible moments Karen and I have together catching little cutthroats up in Rocky Mountain National Park in the most beautiful place in the world. And I've had tarpon on down in Biscayne Bay or uh, off of Pescamaya. And and both of those are incredibly exciting, but they both created great memories. Yeah. In fact, the older I get and... and Hopefully not that old, but you know I've I've been around the block a number of times, and I think I've started to redefine trophy instead of inches. It's where you catch a fish, and a native fish from a native river, like a cutthroat up high in this state, it doesn't matter if it's eight inches long. That's a trophy to me. Oh, Um, you're you're right. It's um, we all want to. We all have added different species and situations to our bucket list. Yeah, and we've you know you want to catch it and. I think the one of the big things that probably differentiates fly fishermen from conventional anglers, and I do a ton of both, yep. is the conventional angler is more concerned about having the best tool to use in that circumstance and make sure he catches fish. The fly angler wants to catch fish in a particular way, even if it's not exactly the most efficient, and it can be the most efficient, but he wants to accomplish it a certain way. It's it's the it's the task as much as the result. It's the same as the bow hunter. I think yeah. it's oh. a great analogy. And I'm I'm a I'm also a bow hunter, and probably one of the least effective bow hunters in the state of Colorado. I mean, I've, I've gotten <laughs> two elk in 15 years that way. But um, I just love being out there, and I love calling, and I love hearing them and having everything. I think it allows you to be a part of the atmosphere and the environment. And when you're that connected with a simple stick and a string, whether it's fly fishing or bow hunting. Well, I think there's a lot to that. I tell you what, uh, we got a, Mark Kite's going to join us from Sun Enterprises, and we're going to take a break. we come back, we're going to talk some ATVs right here on Terry Wicks from Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan. Number one all-time band in the United States, the Eagles. We did a survey once with uh, when this was on this radio station, but it was probably 10, 15 years ago. My board operator at the time was a huge Beatles fan, 
And he, I told him the Eagles were more listened to, and he wouldn't believe me. So we did a survey of everybody that called in. Back then, you would have had a CD. You wouldn't have your iPod with right. your mix, right? <laughs> and it said, how many people had an Eagles CD and how many people had a Beatles CD? It was five to one Eagles. Oh, yeah. I mean, just, yeah. <laughs> so. It's the number, they're the number one selling artist of all time. In, in the, United, in the States. United States. Yeah, they are. Hey, let's go to the phones because a good friend of the show is on the line waiting for us. Um, and that's Mark Kite. Good morning, Mark. Hey, good morning, guys. How are you? We're doing really, really well. Um, are you an Eagles or a Beatles fan? Honestly, I'd have to say both. Well, they're both really good. There's no no, no shame there. Right? Yeah. Well, I know you're, I know you're an ATV fan. I'm definitely an ATV fan, for sure. You know, Side-by-side -side fan as well. Well, we've got Kirk Dieter sitting next to me from Field and Stream and from Trout Magazine. And what do you got sitting in your yard, Kirk? Uh, Pioneer, Honda Pioneer. Um, we're talking about this, and I'm, I'm a side-by-side -side guy. And uh, I've had it for, since it came out. Uh, it was one of the first ones. And I use it for everything. Plowing my driveway, moving wood from the driveway to the back. Cutting wood, training my dog, uh, going on hunting, uh, all those different things. Couldn't be happier. Took me took me years to talk my wife into it, and and now she can't get me to use it enough for for chores around, <laughs> chores the, around house. the house. So that's a pretty good testament there, Mark. Yeah, absolutely. There's, there's such a good machine. You know, all of them are good nowadays. They really are. But uh, you know, I've, I've, uh, the Honda stuff is super good as well. But um, yeah, definitely, we carry a full line of them down here and uh, sell what? a bunch of them. So definitely, the uses are, you know, very abundant. Lots of uses for side by side. What what brands do you all carry down there, Mark? You know, on the side by side stuff, we do Honda, of course. We do Kawasaki. We do Polaris uh, and Can Am. So those those brands there, as far as the side by side stuff go. Yeah, you do a lot. Of course, then you've got a Harley shop. You know, speaking of the Harley shop and even the Hondas and some of those, it's going to be, we had what looked like was going to be an early spring, and I keep telling everybody it turned into the forever winter, but it's going to go away pretty soon. I bet you got a lot of guys after we had that warm spell chomping at the bit to get the motorcycles out. Yeah, March is always a fun month for us in the business, you know. In our world in March, you know, it just totally depends on what that weather does here in Colorado. And, you know, if it gets nice and warm, you know, the motorcyclists definitely come out in full force and they're ready to ride, which is awesome to see. And so we're always excited to see those guys. And if not and it stays winter, then, you know, we're still doing snow plows and, and, and side-by-sides on ATVs and, and, and side-by-sides. And then also the snowblower stuff, too, gets, you know, we do a lot of that. So March can, you know, be one of the one of the snowiest months here in Colorado as well. So yeah, I it think depends. I don't think a lot of people realize you carry just a line of snowblowers. It isn't just the ones that go on the ATVs. Yeah, absolutely. You know, we do a full line of Honda snowblower. I mean, anything from, you know, a single stage, you know, seven horse Honda, which is what I have at my house. And uh, the thing just works great, you know, all the way up to, you know, the big 11 horse track models, you know, dual stage units. So, yeah, we do everything from, from one end of the spectrum to the other. You know, speaking of it staying winter, too, you guys just went on an ice fishing trip with Nate Zielinski. I was supposed to be on and I was in one of my trips. I, I think I might have been in Florida or Hawaii, and I couldn't find any ice. But <laughs> but, but I, I did miss being out there with you. How did that trip go? Did it turn out pretty well? You know, it was awesome. We had a we had just a great time as always. You know, Nate Nate uh, Zelinsky's just you know the guy does such a great job. And when you say you know you didn't find any ice, we found lots of ice. Terry Jefferson, I don't know how thick the ice was, but it had to have been 
pushing at least 30 inches, I would guess. I mean, it was it wow. was super thick. Well, you know, another thing, and you found this out, I think, fishing with me, ice fishing on Granby and up at uh, Glendale Reservoir, that there were times if we weren't on ATVs out in the ice, we would never have caught the number of fish we did because mobility turned out to be the key on those trips. Well, there's no question, you know, and, and it turned into that a little bit, you know, on this last trip up to Jefferson with Nate as well, you know, and, and our, our, our lucky winners for that fishing trip, you know, we did uh, we did a lot of chasing fish that day and, and uh, you know, different different depths and we were moving all around the lake and, and yeah, absolutely, you know, the altitude's no joke up there either. I'm here to tell you, there's not, it doesn't seem like there's much oxygen up there. <laughs> I'll, I'll, someday when we're alone, I'll tell you the story that I thought my life was going to end on the top of Cameron Pass 50 feet from my truck because I couldn't breathe any. More. I was yeah. walking through thigh deep snow. It's quite a yeah. I, you think you're in shape sometimes, but boy, I'll tell you, it's something. But you know, there's a lot of lakes in uh, in Colorado that do allow you to take ATVs out, uh, Lake John and uh, Stagecoach. And if you check the regulations, I'll tell you what. And you guys can fix up an ATV so that it's good for year round, including ice fishing, right? Yeah, we did. You know, this trip to Jefferson, we uh, we used one of our units here at the store, and we took out that uh, Polaris North Star Ranger, which just, man, oh, man, what a treat. We had it outfitted with tracks, and it's got a full cab system and heat, and I shouldn't tell the, all the listeners that because they're going to think we're a little soft, but uh, <laughs> nonetheless, it was it was really, really nice. Oh, Mark, I know we got to let you go here in just a second, but I know you've got some events coming up. I think uh, one of them is your St. Patrick's Day. you got things in the meantime? Yeah, we've got all kinds of stuff going on. You know, we've got a lot of cool stuff going on in our Harley-Davidson dealership right now, which is really exciting. Um, you know, we've got some remodel stuff going on on the showroom floor and in our motor clothes department. So that's cool. We've got the St. Patrick's Day thing coming up. And, you know, we're just, uh, you, you know, doing what we do down here. We just we have a good time and, uh, you know, love to see the, the enthusiasts out there stop by the store, whether they're buying or not, just to say hello and see what's new. Tell them how they find you. Absolutely. So uh, I-25 to the 84th Avenue exit, east two blocks to Pearl, and then up Pearl, about 89th and Pearl, five-acre campus, uh, you know, 100,000 square feet of showroom space, can't miss us. All or right. you can reach us online also to Terry, uh, you know, sunent.com. All right. All right, my friend, we will talk to you again soon. I need to stop by one of those outings and get some free food and kick the tires a little bit. Absolutely. You guys have fun in California, and thank you so much for the time. All right. Thanks, Mark. That's uh, Mark Kite from uh, Sun Enterprises. What a what a great guy. Uh, Kirk, we're going to take a time out. We come back, we're going to change things up again. We're going to talk some fishing because Matt Ensley from Tight Line Outdoors is going to join us, and he may even have a tip on an open water coming up or soon or not, but he'll certainly be telling us what's going on through the ice, which won't go away. That's great. You're listening to Terry Wickstrom Outdoors on 104.3 The Fan.